Welcome to Open Deeply Season 3, as we burn down shame and reclaim our power. The truths society pushes into the shadows are the very things that connect us. Truths around sexual authenticity, the wisdom of plant medicine, the pursuit of equity, and beyond. To open deeply, as Jack Cornfield says, takes tremendous courage, a warrior spirit. This unconventional path takes just that. So join us. Together, we have the courage to open deeply. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Laurie. Welcome to Open Deeply. I'm Kate Laurie, and my co-host is sex educator, Sunny Megatron. Today's guest, the goddess Amina, believes that your orgasm is expansive energy, a way to experience your higher self, and her goal is to guide you home to your body where your magic lives. The goddess Amina, otherwise known as Amina Peterson, is the founder of the Atlanta Institute of Tantra, a nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing access to pleasure and tantric embodiment in communities of color. She is also the host of the Fix Your Sex podcast. Her path began as a sex surrogate working with Dr. Dean Dow in 1997. In 2004, she began practicing massage after completing a 500-hour program at the New Chicago School of Bodywork and Massage. That training opened her eyes to a variety of erotic healing modalities, including Neo-Tantra and Esalen. She is a graduate of the University of Illinois with a bachelor's in sociology, a Reiki master, and a yoga instructor in core power and Tantra. Her resume highlights accolades that include a combined 20 years of work in nonprofit management and a bodywork background that includes work as a birth doula, personal trainer, and fitness coach. Her extensive background in fitness and health has made her work especially focused on helping lovers heal their wounds related to body image, sexual abuse, self-esteem, and identity. Sunny and I are so excited to interview such an amazing guest who is clearly all about opening deeply. And you should know that this interview was so epic that we decided to make it a two-part episode. This is episode one, and this interview will end rather abruptly, but please keep in mind that it continues in the following episode, which will be episode 42. But before we get started, I need to remind you that Open Deeply Podcast is made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, and any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, medical care, or professional advice and do not create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. All opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 988 or go to the nearest emergency center. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, Amina, I'm so happy to have you on here today. I just think you're a glorious person that I, I got to hear you speak at uh, Sex Sound South. Ah, yes. 
And you're so wonderful there. And I just love not only your energy and what you're putting into the to the world. How should I put it? When you're in the same room with you or you just hear your voice, it affects a person. Like just your voice makes me feel good in my body. You know, it just makes me feel and I'm just guessing when you have clients that walk into a space before you do anything, there's probably healing energy that happens just from what you emote from your body. Well, thank you for that. I think that's the best compliment you can give to somebody who's working in embodiment and somatics. And, and so that, that feels really good for me. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of questions, here we go. Before we get into your core beliefs, Tantra and all of your wisdom. Can you tell us a little bit about your backstory through the lens of your body? And I know a little bit from listening to other podcasts, I know that you had some trauma that made you feel disconnected. And then you moved from this disconnection and this trauma to becoming somatically connected and being this Tantra goddess. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that trajectory. I have come from a mixed background growing up in in Chicago and in what ended up being quite a dysfunctional home. And I actually have been on my own for a very long time. So I left home very young, which put me in a space of like traumatic teens, right? Because because mm-hmm. that, that base level of needs was, was unmet. Housing, security, family security, community, those things that are very integral to your human development were, were really not available. And so my biggest trauma to me now in hindsight, really, I think is around that, that period of 14 to 18, where kind of on my own, you know, looking and trying to figure out the world without the guidance that most, most young people are expected to have. And that also shaped my experience, it allowed me to see a lot of things that I'm very grateful to have witnessed and experienced. And it made me not bat an eye when there was an advertisement that said, seeking sexual surrogates. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> There's, I, I imagine that if I had gone to live with one of my uncles or aunts, and then I would have probably been made to go to church. And then I would have looked at that ad very differently than I would ended up looking at it. I ran towards that opportunity at, at 19 and that shifted a big part of my a big part of my understanding about sex and sexuality. It didn't necessarily shift me into the body yet, but it did it did start to awaken these things because I was in this position where I'm working for the first time in my life as a sex worker, as legitimate as it may have sounded on paper, and realizing like I'm not ready for this realizing like, I'm terrified. Every day I go to work, I felt like stage fright. What am I doing? (laughs) And also still going because that's the Aquarius in me. It's like, yeah, I'm scared. Let's do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And so that really, but it's been in the review of this period of life for me, really from kind of 11 when my father passed away to 1920 as I'm working in the world of sex surrogacy with Dr. Dean Dow that I'm I can you know I start looking back at all of that and then that that is where I, I kind of made the connection it's in the it was in the retrospective 
part of like, oh, that that was panic. Oh, this is why those relationships were moving in that way at that time. Oh, this is why your body was feeling this way. Or this is why you bounced. I used to shake my leg all the time and my, my hamstrings were always tight. And I ran a lot. I worked out a lot, but that just there was no amount of yoga. I was in Bikram yoga every other day, and there was just no amount of yoga that. This is before I knew that he was a raging pervert and horrible right. person. Yeah, um, we but, didn't know. We didn't yeah, know. we didn't know. But there was just no amount of of stretching that was going to tend to the somatic response that was happening in my body. And I didn't know that. I was just trying to push. If I could just touch my toes one day, you know, and it was just that kind of thing. Looking back at that, with as I started studying and learning more and more, as I started finding out about Tantra, and which is a, a whole nother story, just kind of like that pathway of, of me figuring out that Tantra is something that I could do and then going in a totally different direction on accident. <laughs> but it made me kind of look back at like, oh, this is what was happening in my body. I still feel that. That's still here. Maybe I can work on that. And so that's that's really been, that's the short version of the journey. I mean, we, could, we could do three or four episodes where we go through the long version, but that's the short version of like me entering my body. It was really me standing in a space where I'm reading and learning and attending classes and looking back at myself and thinking, oh, ah, that I still feel that. That's still there. Like that didn't go anywhere. And then tending to that. Yeah. I mean, that time of your life. And like I said, I've listened to some podcasts on your life and everything. As far as I know, you tell me if I get anything wrong, like you ran away at 14, right? And then that college years, you were doing the sex surrogacy, which maybe we should pause and explain kind of what that is a little bit, because some people listening might not know what that is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I sure as hell didn't. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea what I was signing up for, but the pay looked great. What it was is that I worked for a psychologist, psychiatrist's office in Chicago. He was a sex therapist. I don't know if that was really an official designation back then. We're talking about 1997. And so, in the, but he worked primarily with a lot of veterans. And at the time, this was after the first Gulf War. And so folks were coming back with PTSD from that. And I was working in a space that really felt dangerous. What it is that I'm working as a, like literally as a surrogate, I'm the person that has sex with the client or a sexual experience, right? Because it wasn't as actually ended up not actually being that much intercourse at all because there was so much work to be done. But the possibility of that was there. And I was just so green, as many people that are probably listening, like, well, what does that mean? So this, the therapist, you know, you go to therapy and you talk about what you're going to work on and how it's going to be when you when you get back to sex. But you have no way of knowing that you have no way of knowing what your talk experience looks like when it shows up in real life. Right. Which is why a lot of therapists are working now with, more with somatic coaches or training in somatics so that they can actually move us through the body in our healing work. And that was the same. And so in order for them to move on and, and actually know if this is where they're going to be or if this is if the therapy is, quote unquote, working, if you will, that they have a surrogate that they get to practice with. And they get to move through the sexual experience whatever at whatever level 
or whatever that means for that person. And yeah, so that's that's sex surrogacy. It's now called surrogate partner work, but it's it was sex surrogacy at the time. And I, I actually still like that name uh, because it's, I, I'm like, I don't really want to go to partner. Partner feels real, like I live with my partner. Yes, it's serious. <laughs> that's a serious. So serious. Kind of, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of curious along, you know, as you're talking about the shift from trauma and disconnection towards being the Tantra connected goddess that you are now, that time period is such an interesting time period because you're doing the surrogacy, you're working with veterans. And yet you're also while you're in college, you are working in the military part time and experiencing a lot of racism there. So there's like this weird combination of healing veterans while incurring some trauma and mistreatment yourself. It just seems like that maelstrom, that like that shifting currents of both going on might have been a little bit of a kundalini awakening for you, so to speak, like a cracking and rebuilding you and shifting you in all kinds of ways in a very short time. Because very quickly, I think you go to Hawaii and then things just start clicking in rapid fire. There was a little part in between there, though. It wasn't all awakening and and bells and joy. It was, holy hell, what am I doing? And I ran from that. My tendency is to run away. And so I ran away from surrogacy and into marriage. Mm. Um, because, yeah, because I was a practicing Muslim. Oh, again, another six series. But as a practicing Muslim, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to put my, my scarf on. And I, I just, I don't know what I was doing, what I was thinking. And I ran and decided that, yeah, let me get married. And that was <laughs> not necessarily the most wise idea, but I was seeking security and safety. I wanted to feel home somewhere. And so it wasn't all, the, the Hawaii came after the divorce. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I would love to like go down that Hawaii road when you discovered Tantra. Like one of the things you said was this mostly white community was like, oh, Tantra is for everyone. But you've also said in your podcast, like, well, where is everyone then? You know? Yeah. And so that's when you opened your own Tantra Center, etc. And I would love for you to explain to the listeners not only what Tantra is, but also what Vajrayana Tantra Buddhism is as well. My path to getting there was weird. I went to massage school after my divorce before I moved to Hawaii. And so I was doing sensual massage. And when I got to Hawaii, I saw Tantra massage and I was like, well, they're charging more. Let me find out what this tantra stuff is so I can charge a little bit more. And so I always let everybody know, like, I was not on some spiritual awakening path. I was trying to pay the rent and I liked what I did. And I, you know, massage therapy really changed a lot about my understanding of touch and connection. And not in any type of scholarly way, but in a way that I could feel. Mm -hmm. And so in that, I did what I would do, which is go to Barnes and Nobles and buy every single book you can find on Tantra, because that's the kind of brain that I have. And a lot of them were Buddhist books. And so Mm. there was urban Tantra, and then there was everything else. And everything else was coming mostly from Buddhist lens. There was some Vedic Tantra in there as well. And so I started studying what I later found out to be Vajrayana Tantra, which is a lineage-based Tantra 
from Buddhism. I have not sought refuge in any schools or any sanghas. I'm, I'm not officially a Buddhist. <laughs> if there's an official, I've stepped away from this idea of religion in general and dogma. Tantra, though, the word itself has a lot of meanings depending on which way you're looking at it. If you're looking at it from, from Sanskrit, it's about the weaving. Mm-hmm. But it also has a root that is tool. The best way for me to explain Tantra is that it is, it is a resource. It is a tool for liberation, a liberation of the spirit, a liberation of the soul, and a liberation of the body. I started moving through the path learning from Reggie Ray, Reginald Ray, who has, I think, one of the largest, maybe, Tantra schools or programs here in the in the West. And he was in the lineage of Pinochet, which Rev Angel comes from that, uh, Lama Rada Oyens comes from that, and uh, some other more popular modern black and brown folks. But I didn't understand there was a difference between that and what I was going to. I just couldn't figure out why it wasn't clicking, right? So I would go to a Tantra event that would be 99.9% white in Hawaii, which is always, I will tell you, whenever I see that, I'm like, this is, this takes skill. Like in Atlanta and Hawaii, if you go to an all white event, run. Cause you gotta do some real special coordinating to get it all white. <laughs> like you have really tried hard. <laughs> you know, I wasn't even 30 yet. And so I'm going and I'm looking and I'm trying to figure this out. I just remember there was water I just remember thinking, like, ain't no black people coming to this because we're not going to an event that's getting our hair wet. And nobody has thought about this. There are no caps. I don't see any bonnets around. They have these water rituals, right? Right, yeah. And so I'm just like, what are we? I'm not doing that. I'm not. I don't want to do that. I'm going to sit over here in the back. And so I remember that, like, being very, very, a very moment of, like, oh, my friends are definitely not coming with me to this. Mm-hmm. which was fine because that led me to kink events and my friends all came to those. Yeah. So that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so like one door closes and the other one opens. But that's how, that's kind of how I started learning about it. And, and it just started incorporating into my work. What I love about Vajrayana Tantra is that there is such a focus on the body, not the sexual body per se, But as I'm hearing body, I'm hearing sex because I'm a sex worker, right? So in this whole time, also I will say like in the school, when sex or neo-tantra comes up, which is what most people are being exposed to in the West is neo-tantra, which is a, you know, just a slight bastardization of a spiritual practice focusing on, on sexual energy. However, one of the things that I love that my teacher said was like, you know, hey, if that's how they get to spirituality, then great. And I just loved that as the messaging. It was, it felt very different than anything I had heard in any other kind of dogma oriented space where it's like sex has always been just like the bad thing in the room that you could have. And here I was expecting to hear that. I was expecting to hear that because you do hear that in traditional tantras, like, you know, the Americans, the bad Americans doing this sex thing with our spirituality. And there's truth to that. And there's also the reality that if I'm doing any body work, any work on my body, and I'm a body that has sex, then I cannot exist in any spiritual reality that doesn't include sex. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Tantra having to do with weaving through the Sanskrit language. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like, Yeah. So and I, I don't want to butcher the language, but it's the root word of Tantra is it translates loosely to weaving. And so there's there is this weaving. There's this weaving of the understanding that we have in every other way that we show up in life as a part of the whole, like that's a, not just our whole, but the collective whole. Like I, it's also, it's very interdependent, the weaving. And so that is also a part of it. There's this understanding that like, we are all interwoven. We are all connected. My experience of something very minor that I may think, well, that I may think is very minor, that experience is woven into the fabric of my being. Also, like when we're talking about Tantra as a understanding, it's also looking at it through that lens of like, this is, you cannot separate the trauma that you experienced here or the traumatic growth that you've experienced here and think that that's going to not show up when the lights go out and the clothes come off. And it's not, or it's not going to show up when you get up and go to work in the morning or when you're, when you meet a new lover or a new potential lover, it's woven into you. And the way that I interact with you because of that means that it's also woven into you because we are not separate. We are in community, whether we like it or not. And how we're going to move from that is really what we learn. And so that's really, for me, that's my interpretation and my experience, my learned experience from what Tantra means and how, how that shows up for me in my life. And you'll hear 50 other ways from 50 other people, but that's, that's the Amina. <laughs> yeah. And I have the feeling as this interview progresses, we'll go deeper into that concept. I know that some of your core beliefs that I believe you would list on your website are the belief in feminine, divine, and worship, mm -hmm. a belief in intentional touch, mm -hmm. a belief in sacred sex and intimacy, mm -hmm. existing consciously, clearing sexual shame, guilt, and fear a recognition of the inner masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. And then finally, sex magic, which, you know, I invite you to unpack any of this. When you connect to these core beliefs that you that have changed your life and countless others that you have touched, if you feel like sharing, what happens within your body as you connect to all of that? And, and from there, I'm wondering what thoughts or feelings you'd like to share that just happened to bubble up today in this moment? For one, when I hear you read that list back that I wrote years ago, uh, and it still holds very true, I feel like it's really all one answer. Like that is one core belief and it's just all a bit, it's, it's woven together. There's no separating that. And I think that it's been, it, it doesn't just work to heal others in the work that I do every day. I am in a constant state of healing myself through these daily reminders. It's so easy to learn something. And I see it happen often because there's so much learning to teach right now. And they're so easy to learn something and not have it as a practice. But being that I'm talking and living and sharing this every day as a part of my work as a part of my life as a part of my 
connection with my partners, like that, it, it just feels like one thing. And it guides me, it helps me, it supports me to be present in, in a variety of ways right now. Right now I'm dealing with, we had a death in the family just recently and um, my father-in-law passed away suddenly, unexpected. And it's turning on the heels of my brother passing away very unexpectedly and in December. So it's not been, it's been six months, right, in between these two. And it's just like, wow, it feels, it feels like I'm in this, in the tumbles of it. Mm-hmm. And because of my practice and my, you know, because I'm guided by these beliefs, I'm really able to sit and be in the reality of that now, right? As opposed to my father passed away when I was 11 and I had no clue about anything. The death hadn't even really been spoken to me about yet. And then there was just this gaping hole and no real way to to move through the emotions because it was at this period of life where you're supposed to be a big girl and not cry anymore. And so being in this moment and feeling the rawness of this moment, holding my partner in the rawness of this moment, allowing myself just to really be present for like, what is coming up? What are the memories of for of my own reality, right? This, we have Father's Day in, in, in a week and there's all of this that, that just lives in the body that if I wasn't doing this work, I would snuff down and I would just keep going because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what capitalism has told me. That's what be a big girl, pull your big girl draws on. All of that is all talking to me about leaving my body, about being away from my, my, the, the only truth that I have, which is my feeling. And so this work moves me back from that, moves me out of that space of avoidance, of deference, of dissociative behavior that is all too common. And it allows me to be present. It allows me to still continue to experience passion and make love while grieving, as opposed to what I would have done before, which is just kind of like eat some stuff I probably <laughs> don't don't need to binge eat while binge watching some program and just totally trying to get out of the feeling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That this actually works in that way. It allows me to still be present for life with the feeling, with the emotion, with the sensations that are in my body now. It reminds me to slow down. It reminds me to check in. Yeah, it just brings that, that existing consciously part is all of that. And it, it just, it's a beautiful, a beautiful reality. And I think also for the people that are close to me, that are in this work with me, they're also witnessing that and experiencing that on their own. That the idea men aren't supposed to cry and this and right, like, and then you have a loss like this. Well, what do I do with this emotional reality right and and so then there's now there's space there's space for for the sadness there's space for wailing there's space for crying there's space for communicating there's space for frustration and confusion like none of this is looked down on it's just where we're at in this moment and this work feeds that and i think so many of our relationships disintegrate because we don't have space for that so much of our sex falls apart because we don't have space for that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I have some thoughts about that. This is a moment that I almost feel like I 
I wish I could do a little Vulcan mind meld and it convey many things all at once. <laughs> you know, I remember one time taking a Tantra weekend with the person I was dating at the time and them conveying or, or different people in Tantra have conveyed this. And I don't know if you would agree with it. But if you compare Tantra to like, say, a solitary practice of mindfulness, Tantra is they're, they're similar in the fact that they both have to do with being present and like noticing. But the Tantra is that extra element of being present and noticing in relationship more. And then in that Tantra weekend, they gave us homework at night where we did a sexual, you know, whatever with the exercise they gave us, whether it was the partner focusing on me and just doing kind of like yoni, yoni worship, which was epic for like an hour. But they basically said, no matter what emotion comes up, if you're crying, if you're angry or whatever, if you're still in it and it's still a yes, like just allow all of that, which is so the opposite of what you hear in American culture. It's like with sex, you're supposed to be pretty and you're supposed to be positive and this and that. And, you know, there's no room for anything other. And it's just like, I think that's, and then also I'd say as, as a therapist working with non-monogamous people, even with non-monogamy, I noticed that a lot of times people that were nesting partners or primary partners, they would get to a place where they weren't having sex with each other or, or it was more rare. They'd have sex at the sex party. They had sex with their outside lover, but maybe they weren't having sex with each other. And I went through a phase where I was just like, I was just like, I refuse to believe that that was just a way of things. And one day I said to a tantrika, one of my best friends, I said, I have this theory that what's supposed to replace the new relationship energy is intimacy. And because we suck so much at intimacy, it just all falls apart. And she goes, exactly. I do a lesbian bed death workshop and that's that's the premise of it. It's just like, okay, well, we got past the NRE and we are these hyper-committed beings because lesbianism drops us off there oftentimes <laughs> with with the U-Haul in tow. Um, and the and, cat. And the and cat. And the cat. Yes. And the cat. <laughs> <laughs> and so a year, two years, whenever that NRE kind of wears off, then yeah, there's like, oh, it's not even happening anymore but it is that is that that there is a fundamental human need to be witnessed to be seen and that is not there and then there's a fear of being seen that's there right mm -hmm. so i have this fear that i'm going to be seen and if i if you see me for real will you even stay will you be with me Will you, do I get to keep you or will you run away? So I better not let you see me. And then we just kind of live in this world where, yeah, we go to the sex parties and it's easy because nobody's really seeing me there. Um, this is, this can be very performative. This can be very fun and playful, but, but it's, it's, it can also be very performative and it can also be very performative. Whereas in my relationship, I'm naked. It's yeah. raw over here. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Right. Like this could be like just this right here. We could talk on this forever. Totally, mm -hmm. totally. Now in one podcast, you talked about the Congo and a past belief in the search for water or Amrita, which in Sanskrit references like vaginal, aka female ejaculation. So mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit. I'd love to, he to hear, peel back those onion layers. Was that talking about indiga, the root? Amrita. Uh, yeah, the, but yeah. So in, in Kiswahili, 
There's a word indiga, which is a root that provides sustenance. In the Congo and in Rwanda, and there's another kunyaza is the word that is, and it's really sought after. It's like this sacred, the root is uh, in the earth, drying up the water, right? And that is, gives a representation of the divine feminine and, and it as the earth. And then in kunyaza, there's this pridefulness in being able to draw up the waters, to bring the waters up, which goes against so much that I've, I learned when I found out that like in Central Africa, there's this whole world, whole belief system of, of like in heterosexual relationships that the man is really priding himself on not just pleasing the woman, but being able to draw out her waters. Okay. And I thought to myself, well, well, have we got it wrong over here? <laughs> I <Yes>. mean, <laughs> yes. um, and so I've, I'm, I'm amazed and always interested in it because there's this, there, you know, there's this argument about is it P or is it not P? And is it something that's unique to the woman or the female body, the scientific female body? I don't believe that it is. I believe that that style of ejaculation, that water actually lives in all of us because I've seen it come out of two cis men in my work. And the first time I was like, this mug just peed on me. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but, but there was, as I go back in the office and so there's nothing that smells. My laundry service came the next day. Pee would have reeked. Pee would have been in a a 24 hours, had my office smelling like quite the situation. And so that piqued my interest. And then I saw it a second time with a lover on mushrooms. But I think that there's that, that, kind of settling out of the mind that happens on entheogens allows us to draw up sacred water. And so a lot of the work that I do is around getting folks to be in their bodies enough so that they can relax into release, right? That that and it's not that like oh just relax. <laughs> Because that ain't going to work. It's a true deep sense of calm in the body. It is the releasing of the memories Mm -hmm. that are holding the tension in the body. There's Because that's really what is that. That's the biggest blockage is like, like I said, I could have gone to Bikram. I could have gone to every yoga three times a day and it wasn't going to do anything for my hamstrings because my hamstrings were ready to run because that was the memory that lived in my body. And so there was no way around that. And it wasn't until I, you know, you, we, I start working with people and we start finding where this tension is living and how that tension supports something because it's there for a reason. We're not shaming it. We're not mad at the tension. We're like, okay, but you have a purpose, but I don't need you right now. You're in the way of a little bit of thing I want to squirt out over here. So <laughs> if, you, if you could just make your way out the door for a little bit, that'd be great. <laughs> so that's, that's a lot of what I do around, around Amrita or Kunyaza. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's fascinating. It's, it's interesting talking to women about their, or just people about their journey with squirting. I rem- just anecdotally, for me, I had never squirted. And I guess this was maybe in my late, 30s. It was back when I was with my ex-husband and we played separately and I had two lovers 
And I was about to have a lover fly in and we had never had sex before. And he was known as kind of like the squirter king. And my my husband was like, oh, fuck that. And he got online, learned how to do it. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to do it before he does. So that happened. And then the squirter came came in. And then I saw my Hawaiian boyfriend who just happened. I didn't know that he knew how to do that. And he knew how to do it as well. So literally, I went from having my whole life never squirting to in one month, three men making me squirt like the, nobody's business. That is literally a jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's three yeah. sevens across yeah. the board. And I love that phrase, the squirter king. I think we need to make a docuseries about like, the squirter king. For real. We had, the, we had the tiger king or whatever exactly. that was. Let's get exactly. the squirter king. Yeah, I would watch the heck out of that. Yeah. So sometimes when women are like, oh, I just can't do that. I'm like, yeah, but have you dated someone who's actually learned how to do the thing? You know, Mm -hmm. but anyway, so switching gears, I I know you believe in somatic healing, as do I. What would you say to someone who says it hurts or has become unbearably discomfortable in their body, not just due to emotional trauma, but due to a long list of health concerns like fibromyalgia, autoimmune diseases, etc. You know, that person that says, no way, this is too hard. I mean, for me as a psychotherapist, I work with somatic psychotherapy, but sometimes I work with a client that has so much pain in their body that I just feel <laughs> Sunny's me, raising her. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, that's yeah. me. You're talking about me. <laughs> that I just feel mean. I feel like it's hard for me to I work with somatic work, you know, somatic psychotherapy all the time. But every now and then there's really just been, I think, two clients in 23 years I've felt this way about where I just, I literally, you know, well, I'm not going to go into details, but where it's become difficult for me, because I'm scared that it's going to harm our relationship, because it's almost like, it makes them feel like I'm abusing them or something if I were to push when they're like, no, this hurts. Right? Yeah, I have had several <laughs> clients that are like, well, what else can we do? Because this is not going to work for me and this hurts or this is just extremely uncomfortable. And it's not always physical body. It's also I have some clients that did struggle with their own mental issues. Mental illness is a word that I I don't know, I, I struggle with saying even, but they have been diagnosed with other mental issues that make it also very hard for them to be in their bodies. And it can be painful. And so I think for me, the first thing is just acknowledging that, yeah, it sucks. I mean, I think of the same way I'm sitting with this grief right now as I tell him that, yeah, I know it sucks. Like there's, I don't have no feel good medicine for that. It hurts. And there can be progress. I don't promise any miracles. I don't promise any amazing turnarounds. But I think that if we can live in the moment, if we can be present for our experience, then we can really notice when something shifts. Mm -hmm. And if we can get a little bit of a shift, and then we can be grateful that that has happened, then that to me is enough progress. And so I try to stay in that. Like there may just be a small amount of pain that you no longer feel. There may be a, a, you may be slight, you may find a way to sit that's more comfortable for you, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You, You may create more spaciousness in your body to live with pain 
and something else. There could be more space. And if we can get to that, then there's we can find some pleasure. I have not lost one yet. So I have some some fighters with me now, but I haven't <laughs> lost one yet. I'm sure if they listen to this podcast, they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Like, yes. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not letting you go, and I'm, you're not letting me go, and we're going to work through it. That's great. That's great. So, I wonder, Sunny, do you have any questions for her around that? Because I know oh. you've had... I have, I, I mean, it, this is, it's just so much. As I was hearing you talk, like I have a whole, I'm going through my own thing. I know, I follow yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So like, basically, I have no vestibular system, long story short, and my muscles are constantly tight. And I'm like, for me, picking a lot of this apart, and also like, how my brain processes is different because of this. Even if the source of my healing or just like a little bit to sit a little like that, those little tiny steps, even if some of them are physical, but a lot of them are like, when I get to know myself and I get to know what my body's doing, it's not as scary and unknown. And sometimes that little bit of like just knowledge and security in myself can help me find those little like, now I can sit a little better. Now I can, you know, maybe not add to the tension that I already have anyway, because I'm freaked out and I don't know what's happening. It's those little tiny things I follow you closely. So, oh, so, I likewise, like you. we're like we're like sneaky followers of each yeah. other. Just like hey, oh around God. the corner. What's going on? What's happening with Sunny? It's you've always been so super relatable. And I remember when I first started noticing that you were talking about your body issues, your health issues. I have this part of me that's always just wants to grab everybody that's in pain and bring them in and tend to them. I've had to stop that. That was was showing up as a relationship style for me for a long time. (laughs) So I've had to stop that. But I think about folks like you that are navigating this almost body betrayal, Mm -hmm. right? Almost like you're not what you're supposed to be. Like, that's a mental mind fuck. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. I'm supposed to have this body. It was working just fine. And then boom. And then, and then every day there's something more and nobody has any answers. I really think that semantics helps in that and that it does to that little bit. And it creates that spaciousness, which is just enough for you to check in. Just enough for you to actually listen to this, this thing that is also going against you, it seems. Yeah. And learn from it. I do believe our body is our greatest resource in our healing. And when we can actually listen, which is easier said than done. Like this is not, yeah, I don't want anybody to listen to this podcast. Just like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna listen to my body because, oh, if it was that easy, I would not just be calling myself the Oprah Winfrey of sex. I'd be having dinner with Oprah Winfrey because I would have a sales kit out there that would woo the masses. It is not that easy. It takes time. And there's little things. So I always, when I have clients that are dealing with body pain, fibromyalgia to, what did you say? Your vestibular system is all shot. Yeah. And the, the muscle tension really is what I, to me, especially, especially for intimacy, especially for sex and for fun, it's the tension that's in the way, right? The orgasm is the absence of tension. The, mm-hmm. the petite mold, right? So right. I get to this point where I'm like, and that's when it's happening. But I can't get there as easily if I'm in this ball of tension. 
And so Thomas Hanna Somatics, which is one of the oldest kind of somatic schools in the U.S., in his somatics book, it's little baby movements that coach the body into safety. The where you work with yourself and you coach your body into safety, you coach your body into the awareness that you're safe to move in that way. And there's just more space that gets created. So I always push people in that direction. It's a little book. I think it's like 20 bucks on Amazon. I get no money. Thomas Hanna is gone from the earth. His wife, Eleanor, now runs the Nevada Institute of Somatics. In case anybody wants to learn more, it's not my school. I'm not affiliated, but I think it's powerful stuff. And I think so much of, like, when I work with a client that has pain, the pain that you're experiencing is new trauma. So now you're getting traumatized every day. You sort of yep. come to me and I'm supposed to move you out of trauma, but you're going to get some more in 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> so right. What, are you, what are the tools that you have? What are the resources that you have to collect yourself around that mm-hmm. and, to, and to not let that occupy all of you, to not let that be the sunny story is pain and trauma, but instead like there's space, there's some pain and trauma, and yes, that's here. And I've just created some room for something else. What do I want to put there? Mm-hmm. What, can, what can fit there? Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's a journey, but it's, it's worth it. It is absolutely because like, I'm finally starting to see little bits of progress. Yeah, yeah. I love you work so hard. Oh, my God, Sunny works so hard. Like literally like that one time when you figured out that your pills were wrapped in something that had pine in it. I I remember that you had like an allergic situation. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that's a testimony about the kind of research Sunny Megatron does. Like, who would figure that shit out? Like, only you. It's, only it, you would yeah, figure it that is, shit out. It's, uh, luckily, I like puzzles. You know, it's like, I am Sudoku, and I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm going to figure me out. Like, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's It really is a lot. I would love for you to talk about, Amina, the history of energy systems and also the cultural appropriation of the knowledge of energy systems. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because, I, so let me just clarify. I went to massage school in 2003 and finished in 2004. And I had one of the coolest massage teachers, Sarah Johnson. I'll never forget her. She just retired because I found her on Facebook and I was like, I love you. You changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> but she talked about she was like a northern california hippie which is also like my favorite white woman often like just (laughs) (laughs) like this bay area hippie with a black child and she was in class talking about appropriation of energy systems and i had no clue of any of it right i had studied sociology in college so i knew who maslow was and what a lot of people don't realize is that that it was appropriation of energy systems. The hierarchy of needs is based and stolen and or borrowed, whatever you want to, use, whatever language you want to use from the from the chakra system. But the other thing that she informed us of was like, oh, she showed all these other ways that the chakra system was showing up in the world historically, without any connection to the other ones. So the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Egyptians, the first people of uh, the indigenous in Australia, I'm having a, uh, the indigenous, because Aboriginal is not, it's just not a real name. How when you look at their ancient systems, the chakra system shows up in all of them. Chakra is just the word we have popularized. 
to, I mean, India is, first of all, one fifth of the world. So it makes it really easy to, to get that information when you have that many people that have it. And we've also appropriated the language without really understanding much about it. And so there's one of these things that, that drives me insane is this idea that the lower chakras are like lower. We have such a hierarchical society. And so we want to place the heart chakra and the throat chakra and the third eye and the crown. And I'm up here in these chakras, those lower chakras. I'm out of those. And it's just such a crock because the reality is the lower chakras are the seat of humanity and the way that this planet survives and the most important part of your reality. And if you're up here and you end up with that, then you're doing what we call spiritual bypassing. There's no two ways wow. about it. These energy systems, though, no matter what, where you look in the world, they tend to have the same color patterns, or very similar. I was amazed when I was being taught this and looking at Mesopotamia and all of these ancient, I'm like, what? Because all I thought that chakras were something that I didn't know anything about, but I knew it came from Hinduism. Like, that was my mindset. And then I find out, no, that's not what it is. And this energy, no matter where we go, where we show up in the world, this is the reality of the human. Hmm. And I had a really wild experience with a mentalist. Have any of you ever seen a mentalist work? Probably. Yeah. I don't, not recently. I have this event, a signature event called the Sip and Touch. And it's like a, it's a touch orgy is what I call it. And so it's, we all get together and, you know, 50, 60 people in a room, 10 massage tables, and everybody's touching whoever wants to be touched. And I, I lead and teach how to offer sensual touch in that space. And there was a mentalist in the room. And I had, I, I knew there was a TV show called The Mentalist, but I didn't know much about it. And so after the program, we, we you know, we're hanging out and we're talking and, He's talking about what he does, and and I just can't wrap my mind around it. He's talking about how he moves things with his mind. And so, I yeah, I'm like, my face looked just like yours just then. So, and I was like, huh? This doesn't. And this fork. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> really? I'm not kidding you. So, he's like, you. I can tell you don't believe me. Go get that fork. And so I get the fork. I'm holding the fork. He tells me to hold it out on his steady arm. And he sits there and stares at it. He doesn't do anything. And the fork starts to bend in my hand. I'm feeling the fork get warm. I'm feeling it vibrate. Wow. Who are you? Who sent you? Like the guy on Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) It was just this moment of like, energy is so much bigger than we realize. Because there is no way... There's just no way. So I invited him over to my house because anytime I meet somebody like that, I'm like, you need to be a part of my lover tribe because you... <laughs> come meet my husband. <laughs> and so I invited him over and I have expensive, for me, Oneida silverware. So mine is heavier. So like, I'm like, I want to see you bend. That was one of them commercial forks. I want to see you bend this Oneida silverware. And he passed it around the room. I had a dinner party and he was like the central focus of my dinner party. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> he passed it around the room and everybody felt it. And then I did it again. He put it in somebody's hand and the whole thing, I think he put it in my husband's hand. It was his birthday, if I'm not mistaken. And the, the fork bent again. And I mean, destroyed my fork. Like there's no bending it back. You can't bend it with your fingers. It's that thick. 
So when we talk about energy systems, I just need people to understand, like, I saw this with my own eyes. If you don't believe me, go find a mentalist. There's still some left on the planet. It is a dying art because we don't pay attention long enough to learn anything that powerful, but it doesn't mean it's not real. And so to me, when I think about energy work, I think about the reality that I have the potential to change the structure of things with my thought. That I, cause, cause energy follows thought. That's what Tantra teaches. And it's true. If I think about something, this is one of the reasons why we don't, we, uh, we tell folks that not to tell children to not do something, right? Because the brain doesn't know how to not do something. And so if you say don't fall, a few minutes later, the kid is falling because you just said fall. If you say be careful, they have a different reaction in the body because energy follows thought. And so we have this potential, small and large, with the energy that we're, we are creating this world that we're in. Energy has created everything from the recording systems that we're using right now from this podcast. This was all a thought before it was anything else. And so energy is that. And a lot of people get like, oh, it's so woo. And you're talking about sacred sex. You just want to have regular sex. Well, regular sex is sacred sex. And energy is everywhere. It is who we are until we're not anymore. We are, there's electricity in your body. I've also worked with Tantra, some of my teachers that could put their hands on you and push you back. Not even touching you, just hand to towards your chest. It's energy is here whether we like it or not like you know whether we whether you want to believe in it or not and so it's like well what else can I do with that it's always in my head well okay I'm not bending forks yet although I do try often <laughs> I have not given up yet on this bending fork. it might be 85 <laughs> but I'm going to bend a fork one day but it's also like well where else can I move my energy and so when I'm doing energy work, I learned I can move it to genitals. <laughs> and then I get into the genitals, then things happen. And that's why I don't have, I can do touchless orgasms or I can do, you know, I can bring up energy in the body and I can, I can actually sit with a group of people and we can all do it. And I think about when we were little kids, did y'all have Ouija boards or have a friend mm-hmm. with one, yeah. right? And so what was that but energy? And then we let our hands go because we didn't believe it. But it's our energy creating communication, creating movement, creating the expansion of energy in the body, creating orgasm. You can think yourself into an orgasm when you start learning about your energy. Thank you for listening. Find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at Kate Marie or at Sunny Megatron. Check back bi-weekly for new episodes, and until next time, remember, your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply. Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Burrell. <laughs>